Now, this morning, I'm, I'm not actually going to be giving you any new information at all, okay? I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. That is not the point of what I'm talking about today. There's nothing new. So sorry to disappoint you if you wanted me to explore a particular theme or a particular message to open up and get your head around. I'm not going to do that, okay? Um, if I could give my talk a bit of a title, I suppose it would be something like, Do You Know God? That would be what it's about. Do you know God? And it's kind of on the back of um, something I read a little while ago, um, A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And it kind of, so it kind of comes from that a little bit. Um, so Ephesians, if we can go back to there, is basically the Apostle Paul praying for the church. And he basically prays for the church quite a lot. He prays some, prays some interesting things. He prays some things that we might seldom pray about, really. Things that we wouldn't tend to pray. We often pray for lots of things, but not necessarily these things that he does. So, for example, he prays for people to have a revelation of God's love um, and to be conscious of that and be aware of it. Um, he prays for people to choose what is excellent in their lives, all, all sorts of things. So let's just read from verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, <coughs> um, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That, same, well, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So we can see that he's praying for us to have a spirit of wisdom. But we already know in 1 Corinthians that Christ is, to un, is unto us wisdom from God. But, but nonetheless, it seems like we need a revelation of that. We need to actually use it. Um, so this morning I'm talking about revelation, not information. We know the information, but we need revelation. We don't need any more head knowledge. Uh, so you might be here for the first time and information might be good actually, to explore by doing Alpha and things like that. But for many of us here, we already know the stuff. We need to ask, seek God for revelation. And revelation's a funny word, but it's a little bit like a light bulb going on, really, isn't it? If you just imagine an empty room with just a single light bulb in it, and someone hits that switch, the room is totally full of light, isn't it? Every bit of darkness disappears. And even if someone turns the light off, you've sort of already seen the room anyway. So you still, even if you're here this morning and it's dark and you think, I'm in this place and... Don't really, God's not, don't really feel it. Um, I'll talk a bit about feelings later and stuff. But, you know, I've, I've still seen it. You've still seen a glimpse. That's what revelation is. It's about having a glimpse of something. You could have heard something a hundred times before, but it just didn't actually get it. So there's a real difference between revelation and information. <clears throat> not that two, one, one is better than the other. Um, there's an example about, I teach philosophy. Um, and there's an example of like knowledge and the differences in kinds of knowledge. So, for example, um, it's important for us to get this, I think. So, like, for example, if you've got a male doctor and a female doctor, and they're trying to talk someone through pregnancy, for example, they've both got totally different kinds of knowledge. Imagine the female doctor's given birth herself. The male doctor doesn't mean he's any less qualified or anything. And the, the female doctor has just got, a, has got the experience of that thing. Both equally good knowledge. And I think we need both. We need the information... We kind of need, doesn't, the analogy doesn't work completely. You don't need to give birth, but you know what I mean. 
you need a revelation of that thing. You need to experience it as well as knowing the information, yeah? But one is not necessarily better. Um, and I think as a, as, a, as a church, and when I say the church, I don't just mean here, I mean the global church, I think we are often so far educated beyond our level of revelation, and beyond our level of obedience. So much more. We know so much stuff. Um, and what we're certainly what we actually live in the good of. Um, and I was thinking, you know, how many more Bible things, more sermons, how many more conferences, how many more books, how many more DVDs, how many podcasts have we got to listen to before we understand something like forgiveness or grace or not being jealous or comparing ourselves or knowing that you're saved? How many things have we got to read and go to in order to, that, in order to know it? So it's not about new information this morning, because if that never turns into revelation, it doesn't do us any good. The Bible is not just to be understood. It's not just a study in itself. There's more to it than that. Being a Christian is more to just knowing the Bible and stuff about it. And some of you might be here today and you're, you've got maybe actual Bibles rather than apps, which is brilliant. And they might be all colored in and highlighted. And you might have even underlined some bits in red. And the person sitting next to you is now having a little look. And, and you think, look at all I know. Look at all the stuff I know. Look how many times I've read it. But at the end of the day, all that tells me is you're good at colouring in, yeah? Um, because really, and, and actually, we can kind of deceive ourselves as well a little bit. Think, oh, I, I heard that podcast on that. That must mean I know about God's grace. It means I know it. It means I know that thing that I read because I looked at it and I've underlined it. Doesn't mean you know it. It's a bit like I'm a teacher and, you know, you can give a student loads of information. They can highlight it, do whatever they want, create all sorts of revision. But it doesn't mean they know it. They might have just done stuff with the information. I heard this good phrase the other day. It says, we don't know anything that we're not doing on a regular basis. I thought that was quite good. We don't know anything that we're not doing on a, or, or living in the good of on a regular basis. Uh, and Mark, in Mark chapter 4, verse 24, <coughs> it says, and he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure... Um, and then in the Amplified Bible, it helpfully says, of thought and study, you give to the truth you hear, will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. So that kind of says to us that let's not just hear stuff. Let's actually think on what we hear. Let's think through what we hear. You know, committing scripture to memory is really good. And then actually, you know, digesting it. Um, because sitting in, in church... It's got a being spoon-fed information. We're spoon-fed information normally, like in every other aspect of our lives, aren't we? And that can easily sort of seep into learning about God, isn't it? Um, and all of that is good, and we need that kind of input. Information is good in order to understand. Of course it is. But it's only good, as I said, if we really get hold of it. And sometimes you hear people say, well, you need to maybe meditate on Scripture. Well, meditate is not maybe the best word to use because um, it has lots of all sorts of other connotations. I, I prefer personally the word contemplate, which is essentially the same thing. Meditate means to the act of focusing your thoughts and mind on something. So it's to contemplate something, to have something going over and over and actually thinking about it. Okay, rather than the, another sort of meditation of, sort of maybe emptying our mind of things um, and so on. Um, so we could take a phrase such as, uh, take, take from the Bible, something like, you know, thinking, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And we could digest, try and digest that 
I am the righteousness of God. That means without guilt and sin. Morally upright. That's you and I. And we could digest that. And, and seek a revelation of that. Um, there might be a handful of times when we've actually gone home. And after we've um, had our lunch or whatever. We're still thinking about the morning's preach. There's probably a handful of times where there's maybe actually been a, a real revelation of things. Um, you might say, yeah, what did, what did so-and-so preach on? Oh, I don't know, but it was good. You know, you hear that a lot. Whatever it was, in seminars and all sorts of things we've been to. I don't know if there's been revelation there. Has it really got hold of us? We can buy every DVD, as I've said. We can have a massive spiritual library. You could have a room in your house with all books on just one topic. You could lay them all out so everyone could see them if you wanted. You could have this room full of it, the full spiritual library. You could drive to and from work with podcasts on every day. But unless we truly listen over and over and then even revisit it is when we're going to get it. And I think sometimes we need to be more determined to have this victorious life, actually. Um, There's a lot of things in life now, the way our culture is, that people do things for us. We live in a kind of consumerist in, uh, culture, don't we? Uh, where, which is fine, you know, we'll pay someone with a certain set of skills to do something I can't and so on. That's all great. But that doesn't, that's not how this works. You can't get someone else to have uh, a relationship uh, with God for you. You can't do that. You can't have someone else do it for you. So we have to be determined ourselves. We have to be active in the process. And yet still thank God for all the, all the resources, all the teachers, all the preachers, all the rest of it. That's all really good. Because um, Paul didn't pray in what we read. I pray you know about God. Instead, he prays that we would know the riches of his glory. We would know the riches of his glory, not just know about them. A bit like when Job said, you know, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen. A bit like that. And in verse 18, he goes on, talks about, you know, that we would know and understand that hope, the hope that he has called you to. I think to be a Christian without hope is a bit of an oxymoron. It don't belong in the same sentence. Hope is everywhere. And so today, you know, you might, you might be in a circumstance where it feels hopeless. But actually, if we really get hold of some of these things, um, Paul is actually kind of praying kind of against all this negative kind of pitiful kind of downcast attitudes we might have of ourselves, when actually we need to remember that we are called children of God. We are able to put on the armor of God and, and say things like, who can stand against us? But, you know, the knowledge of something like putting on the armor of God is nothing unless we actually do it and we actually get hold of what that would mean for us personally, that truth for us personally. So there are many promises in the word of God and we should live in hope. If we truly got hold of them. Um, you know hope isn't. Just to go on about that word a little bit more. It doesn't mean like I wish something to be true hope. It can mean that in various contexts. But the biblical usage of the word hope. Means a strong and confident expectation of something. That's what hope means biblically. Rather than what we might think. Um, and the Bible says that we are. Just another thing that. May have been revealed to you. And you know this but. It calls us, you know, joint heirs with Christ, doesn't it? We're inheritors. And how inheritance, you know how inheritance works, don't you? 
They don't have, you don't have to do anything to get it. You might, they might be a real idiot, but just have like rich parents or whatever. You might think, well, they don't deserve that. They've not done anything in their whole lives, but they still get it. That's the same. And yet we disqualify ourselves so easily from a truth. We need revelation of it. Verse 19, he goes on, he says, and also that, so that you can know, and then from all different translations, any word we could put in there, you've got things like surpassing, unlimited, exceeding, incomparably, whatever translation you have, greatness of his power in and for us. We need to know it. We don't need to live a weak and miserable life. Um, and these things, sometimes we can let circumstances shape the promise, can't we? Shape the promise. But the content of the circumstances that we're in today shouldn't change our perspective of the promise. Actually, the content of the promise should change our perspective of the circumstance. Yeah? That's really important. Really important. Promises change circumstances. Like Job said, I think it's Job 19, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. He knows. It's all about revelation. It's all about revelation. And so I think we need to, a bit like Paul has, we need to pray for ourselves and for others and so on, that people have a revelation. There's all sorts of, you know, I'm sure Debbie, that's kind of what she was praying, you know, that Paul would have a revelation and see for himself. Um, There's no point sort of arguing about it with people, about what is true and all the rest of it, because actually in John uh, chapter 14, verse 17, I think the world does not recognize him because it does not know him. But you know him. He dwells in you and will be with you. Our citizenship is in heaven. If you don't know God, you don't know that truth, that hasn't been revealed to you. There's no kind of words are going to explain that to someone. It's a revelation. It's a different kind of knowledge. And when you have that kind of revelation, that you know your, you know your identity in Christ, you know um, your citizens of heaven and so on, it says in Philippians, um, you don't have to start... You don't have to keep wondering about, you know, whether God loves you and things like that. You don't have to keep comparing yourself to other people or get overwhelmed by different circumstances. Because you know it. You know the riches of his glory for yourself. Um, so I think we need to kind of sometimes stop moaning a little bit, sometimes. Um, it's good. To, I know people like to moan, and, and, you know, we can all moan. But if we just leave it there... That's not the whole story, actually, just to moan about it. We can take so long looking at what we don't have and forget about what we actually have. We start to pursue all sorts of other things, a bit like in Mary's word. You look at the dump. A lot of those things in that dump were once people's dreams. And the things that people really sought after. And now they're in there. Whereas Jesus says, you know, I will never leave nor forsake you. Having a revelation of that. We don't need to start seeking other things in life. So what kind of life have we been called to then? If we're meant to know God and have revelation of stuff. Well, um, <clears throat> it says um, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, you know, that every blessing given in the heavenly, heavenly realms is ours in Christ. Um, and some, you might have turned up here this morning and thought, I need to go to church so I'll feel better, perhaps. I'm going to get some kind of blessing. We are blessed already. You don't have to come here. God doesn't think, oh, they've turned up. Brilliant. Ah, now we can do that. No, 
It's already there. Every blessing is ours in Christ. And I think we need to, we're very good at acknowledging stuff like sin, aren't we? Oh, yes, we know sin. We know we've messed up. We're taught to do that. It's good. It's good to repent. But we need to also acknowledge the other side, the full story. Acknowledge our right standing with God and know that just as, we, just as much as we are aware of our sin. We need to be equally aware, if not more, of things like God's grace. Sometimes even confessing out loud, saying it out loud can actually help us as well. Um, there was a study done a little while ago. So I do a bit, do a bit of sort of psychology in the philosophy that I teach. And it has proven that we actually believe more of what we say ourselves than what anybody else says. So if you look in the mirror each morning, you say, you're no good, you're ugly, you're, you have no talents, you're stupid, no one likes you, um, I can't do anything right. If you say that, you'll believe it. You will believe it. And that's not the full story. We're meant to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, As we behold his glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's a bit like you're sitting in this chair this morning, aren't you? How silly would you look if you tried to get in your chair? You, you're already in the chair. You don't need to try and get on the chair or find some kind of new information or something else, some other blessing or some other external thing. We've already got all these things in Christ already. We just need more revelation of them. Um, and a slight side point about that in terms of sort of on the back of what Mary was saying. Um, I wanted to just mention this, the difference between happiness and joy. Um, because joy doesn't mean feeling really upbeat and good all the time. That's not what joy is. It's different to being happy. Happiness is firstly temporary and fleeting. It's often situational, often based on feelings and so on. Joy, biblically, biblically speaking, is more of an assurance that God is in control of every detail. And we delight in that. And we can have true contentment. And even as James said, you know, consider it joy when you encounter trials. He's not saying, make sure you smile and be happy. But when you know... When you know God, it's independent of circumstances to be glad, to be joyous. It's different to just happiness. Happiness kind of comes and goes, but we can have a deep joy no matter what's going on. Other things I think we need to get hold of and not forget, the things that circumstances can't take away. Romans 5 saying we are justified, brought into right relationship. Corinthians, and someone said it earlier, being a new creature in Christ. There's still no condemnation. I just think sometimes we need to reset a few priorities. That's all. We need to seek after this revelation. So this morning, let's not be satisfied with some kind of second-hand faith. I guess that's what I'm talking about. We need revelation, not information. Know God through his promises and know it personally. So, knowing God. Well, what does that look like? So that's all well and good. What does that look like practically? Um, and why, you know, why are we called to that? Well, the Bible kind of says that, and, and through, throughout, if you look at all the different characters and all the stories and so on, we're being called to have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God that's really genuine and really real, not just for the morn, this morning or when we're in this building. We're also not, we're not called to some organization uh, with no real sort of heart connect. 
I'm just kind of turning up. Um, intimacy, I know, is a, a word that, um, you know, for myself and maybe other guys here, it's not a particularly helpful word, word sometimes. I'm talking about knowing God. Um, it has all sorts of, again, all sorts of other connotations. To be intimate with someone is, that can be something completely different. But I think intimacy is more about this, is to be involved in every detail. It means closeness or togetherness. And I think that's more helpful when we hear that word, to remember that means kind of togetherness, closeness with God. That's what God wants. So, so far, so far away from turning up at church each Sunday, isn't it? Knowing God. It's so far away from that. It's unbelievable. And we've got to kind of basically get over that. Just get over it. It's not about being in this room at all. Um, and what's it going to take? Well, it's going to take two things for us to kind of know God, I think, and to kind of help us. Um, and one of those things is truth. And the other one is time. Uh, not keeping kind of certain areas away from God or not wanting to change certain things kind of deliberately. Um, in John 16, um, verse 15, uh, it says, Everything that the Father has is mine, and everything that I have belongs to the Father. So if we're going to look at the example of Jesus there, everything. We hear a lot, you know, a lot of songs has the word everything, doesn't it, in it? When we say it means everything, it doesn't mean everything you want. It means everything. Um, it means your, things like prayer, everything. I think prayer is sometimes turned into something it's not, isn't it? It becomes quite duty-based. Um, and all it is is just talking truthfully to God. That's, that's all it is, really. Honestly, you don't have to change your voice. <laughs> People do. You don't have to change your voice. You don't have to stand in a certain way. Can I come here? You don't have to go to 24-hour prayer, as good as those things are. It's kind of focus us from time to time on certain things. You don't have to, when people change their voice, or say certain things to open it, you know, Father God, or dear God, whatever. What's God thinking? Is that what he wants? He just wants you to be truthful and honest and genuine and real. To have that closeness and togetherness each day. Um, and we have to put time in. Because otherwise we're going to be missing it. We're going to be missing out. We're just going to know information, aren't we? Because I've said there's no position at work. We can get our heads to think this way. There's no position at work. There's no particular right house. There's no wife, no husband, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no child, no pet. As much as I love my dog. None of those things are ever going to help us to live fully this victorious life. As good as all those amazing things are and how precious they might be. Actually, you know, we've got a life in God. We can know God. We can know the creator. And this morning you might need to, you might want to say, you know, God, just reveal your mercy to me. Or help me to forgive as you forgive. You could pray anything. You know, I, I need to know your peace more in my life. Help me to walk with you. Just simple things. We hear too much too fast, I think, sometimes in our culture as well. It's good to have different preachers each week on different things, of course. But if we do nothing with it, we're just kind of moving on. It's a bit like me teaching a load of lessons. And they didn't get what we did in lesson one. And we're on like lesson four. There's no point. 
because they, they haven't got the, the first one. So we need to stay there for a bit longer. It's just simple. It's not, it's not complicated at all. Um, and I think, you know, it's the way our brains work, basically. We need to give time to get things really deep inside us and really study it. So let's not trade personal study to kind of be spoon-fed the word at all. Um, we, need to be ste- we need to be steadfast, like an athlete, don't we? When, when we're on our walk with God and we're seeking to know God. Um, sometimes that means, you know, do more of certain things and do lessons th- less of certain things and stop compromising certain things. But God, you know, will give you the strengths, give you his wisdom, help us to persevere. Um, and even in Hebrews, you know, that's really hard, isn't it? What I'm talking about today is really hard. Okay, we find it hard. Um, but in Hebrews chapter 12, 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there's sometimes, not always, but sometimes we can find it hard to give that time to give that effort and be active and just think, oh, I just listen to it. I'll listen to something. I'll, I'll let someone else who's studied it themselves tell me, report back, tell me what it says, and I'll just listen to that information. And I, I've done that for, on lots of things for a long time. And in certain areas, I'm now starting to see that if you look at it for yourself, it's different. You know God in a different way. You have more of a closeness with God. So intimate, as I said, means to be involved in every, t- every detail. You can't read the Bible and think that God doesn't want that and God doesn't speak to people. He leads people, he guides people. Now, if you're not here this morning and people say, oh, I heard God say this. Well, we don't hear voices as Christians in our heads, exactly. Our audible voices, necessarily. Um, you know, God isn't interested in kind of deeply sort of spiritual things, just, you know, just those things. But in the Bible, says actually, my sheep will know my voice. You know, we've got to hear some kind of random external thing. Well, that, that, you know, may be the case for some people. But normally, it's just knowing God, having that closeness. My sheep will know my voice. If we know the word, we can hear God. All of us can hear God if we put that time in and really seek him. Last little thing I want to explore is how we can sometimes divide our life up um, into kind of secular things and sacred things. Um, And when God is in your life, everything is sacred. Going to Asda or Morrison's this afternoon could be just as sacred as coming here. It could be. Um, It could. You don't know what's going to happen there. You could be ready to meet someone's need there. You could be ready to put a smile on someone's face you could, who has in a really bad time. Very practical things. We don't need to divide our life up to secular and sacred things. We need to love God, love people, be ready to meet needs, be active, be alert. Um, other things, when, some, when bad things go wrong, something's going on at work, how quick are people... To, you just walk into any staff room, I'm sure. How quick are people to kind of start gossiping? And it's good to confide in people. God uses people, of course. But we can go really overboard in using people, I think, sometimes, can't we? 
I think we need to kind of know God and seek God a little bit more in some of those challenging times. I'm sure you've heard it said, you know, do you go to the phone or the throne? It's one of those things people say. Um, Because although God uses people, actually, we can go straight to God as well. We can give those things to God. And it need not be a, a deeply spiritual place. It could be just in your car on the way home from Morrison's. Okay, it doesn't matter. I will never leave nor forsake you. This holy, awesome God will never leave us. Even as when we walk out there, never leaves us. Whatever we're struggling, going through and all that kind of stuff. We can be seeking sometimes what God will do for me rather than seeking God sometimes. I know, I know I've done that. Seeking what can God do for me? How can God sort that out? Rather than just simply seeking God. Um, some, some people say it's seeking God's face, not his hand. Some people explain it that way. Um, so what does that mean? How does that look like? What examples have we got of that in the Bible? Well, Psalm 27 verse 4 um, says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days, not just Sundays, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what it means to hear of you, but now my eyes have seen. Have we seen this morning? Or are we just a surface, a surface type Christian who just listens to other things and is from other people who have already studied it and we're just getting secondhand kind of faith? Because we need to, be, we need to see this as kind of vital, I think. Revelation is vital. Um, we need to kind of take God at his word as well. Um, when something's vital, you don't, you, know, you don't live without it, do you? It's like anything being plugged into a power source. If I was to, um, if this iPad runs out of battery, how stupid would I look if I just shook it? Come on. Just, if that could turn on, maybe I'll press it again, turn it off and on. Maybe get a tiny bit more. No, I plug it into the power source. I'm going to look stupid otherwise. It doesn't make sense. But we can be looking for all sorts of other things without sort of plugging ourselves in and seeking God himself. Um, I think that's really important. We seek God in that way. And I think we also need to break this barrier of what do I do when I'm spending time with God and I'm having that. What do I do? Don't get hit up about it. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what you do. You could pray, read the Bible, you could do all those sort of more spiritual things. You could just talk, you could sing, you could put a song on, you could journal about it, you could stand, you could sit. It doesn't really matter what you say, what you don't say, be silent. What, it doesn't matter as long as you're given that time. There's something I just often will sit, my thing, I play the piano. So I just sit around the piano. I don't even sing. So I just literally play the piano. But it's almost like that's just some time where I'm kind of just focusing it and contemplating on some things. I might go into some various songs and play the melodies of them. But I don't have to sing them. It doesn't matter if I sing them or don't sing them. It doesn't matter. We can be so hit up on, what do I do? What song should I play? If I sat there and did that, what song? I could sit there for half an hour and think about that. It doesn't matter what song I play. Just spend the time. Fit it in somehow. Seek, the, seek first the kingdom, the Bible says. Not seek kingdom benefits so I can add into my life. Seek first the kingdom. Chase after God. That should be the foundation of our lives, to have this revelation and know God. Sometimes people pray when they're desperate. But we need to realize we're desperate all the time. 
We can de- devote certain times, certain situations, but we need God all the time. And we might have a plan about something, uh, how to sort of you know, make something work out and get God to fit into it. But actually, Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God abides with us. He doesn't just visit us on a Sunday morning. Uh, so I just want to finish this, then we'll do a, a song to finish as well. Uh, and this is actually one of the songs we sung earlier. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, Paul is saying, whatever gain I had, count, whatever gain I, had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul goes chasing after God, not looking at things that people normally seek to find happiness, this, this thing that comes and goes. He did it in order to know God. He desired God. And notice there the past and present tense, by the way. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Indeed, I count everything. It's a continuous thing. Continuous thing to seek God and to know God. A bit like how Psalm 63 kind of sums it up. If the band could start coming back, that would be fantastic. Psalm 63 is a great one. About David and how he thirsted after God. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've been in a, in a desert in Egypt and you're really thirsty. You really need it. It's vital. So I have looked upon in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. We're going to sing. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift, in your name I will lift up my hands. That's why sometimes in worship there's almost an outward expression of that revelation. Jesus, if you're here, if you're here for the, maybe the first time or you're still inquiring about things, Jesus also said this, he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You could be thirsting after all sorts of things in your life. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what we have this morning, rivers of living water from a living God that we can know, not just information about, we can actually know God.